Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Zach Cochran, and I am the producer for On the Way. Normally, on Fridays, we would be doing questions and answers with Dr. Tony. However, today we are going to continue with our series on the great mysteries of God. Don't forget to email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org, and we will get to as many of those as we can in the coming weeks and months. Now here is Dr. Tony Crisp. Yesterday, we introduced to you the incarnation, the mystery of godliness, how God brought about Jesus to come and live on the earth. That was a mystery hidden in the heart of God. As a matter of fact, as you look in the scriptures as we did yesterday, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the prophets that prophesied of Messiah, when they got into detail and saw the suffering of the faithful Messiah of God, that indeed he would suffer, he would be rejected, and that he would bear our sins, but he would reign in glory. They just couldn't figure out how it was going to happen, and God in his great mercy showed them it was not for their generation, but the generation to come, the generation in which we live over the last 2,000 years, God has made clear that indeed it was for us and our generations to follow until Jesus comes that he made known the great mystery of the incarnation and the sinless life, the substitutionary atonement, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he's coming again. Now we'll talk about that tomorrow, but today I want to talk about what I have spent most of my life studying, and that is the mystery of the Gentile being grafted in to the family of God and to the promises of Abraham. Now, we're going to look today in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3 and chapter 2. We're going to start in chapter 3, where the mysterion is mentioned. And then I'm going to do the best I can in the time that I have that I think you're still with me. I've been going 15 to 20 minutes, and I know that's long, but these are truths that are hard to unpack, even in just a preliminary fashion because these are great eternal truths. And what I hope that through these podcasts, God will be able to do through me is to whet your appetite to study the Word of God. Because the more you get into the Word of God, the more the Word of God will get into you. And that's how our lives are changed. That's how our minds are changed. That's how our heart is changed. When we see the truth of God, we grasp it. It brings repentance to our life and further obedience. But in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, of Messiah Jesus, the anointed one Jesus for you Gentiles. Remember, he was speaking to primarily a Greek audience at this point. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation, I'll come back to that word, of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. How that by revelation, he made known unto me the mysterion, the mystery. And then he gives a parenthetical statement, a 
this mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the Mysterion of Messiah, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. Now, that's the best definition of the Mysterion that we have in this passage. It was hidden in other ages, but is now made known unto us, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And then you have a colon. That's a full stop. And then he describes what that mysterion is that has now been revealed that was hidden in ages past. Here it is, that the Gentiles, the ethne, all of the ethnics, all of the people groups which are not Jews, that the ethne, the people of the earth, the Gentiles, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Messiah through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. One more time in verse 8, to me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, look at this, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unsearchable riches of the anointed one, the Messiah, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the Mysterion, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. This is what a mystery is, something that was hidden in ages past but is now made known. Now I want to go back with you, if I could, for the next few minutes to chapter 2 and begin with verse 11. Just from a hermeneutical standpoint, let me just say to you that the Apostle Paul's letters, other than his personal letters or when he's answering questions as in 1 Corinthians, or he has a specific stated purpose, his letters, all of his treaties, follow the same pattern. It's very rabbinical in his writing. And you have the first part of, for instance, the book of Romans, the great volume that he wrote on salvation, whether it's Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians or Colossians, what he does is he lays down a doctrinal foundation. He lays down in the early chapters what God has done for us in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ. And then the last chapters, for instance, beginning with chapter 12 of the book of Romans, you have a therefore, and that means how we are to live because of what what God has done for us in Christ. So you have a doctrinal foundation that is laid in the early chapters, for instance, of the book of Romans. We'll take that as an example. So you have chapters 1 through 8 are doctrinal. They have to do with all that God has done for us in Christ and how our salvation is acquired, how that it is through the grace of God, through faith that we are justified. We are reckoned right with God. Sins are forgiven. Not only what we've done in the past, but all that we'll ever do, put on our account, is the obedient righteousness of Jesus that he earned in perfect obedience to the Father. And then in chapter 12... 
you have a therefore. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I implore you, I beg you, based upon the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holocaustum. That's what the Latin says, a whole burnt offering. Now, the reason I'm going to stop there is because that's not the design of this particular podcast, is to exegete Romans chapter 12. But I want you to see that 1 through 8 of Romans, chapters 1 through 8, deal with all that God's done for us in Christ. Chapter 12 begins for how we live based upon what God has done for us and the changed life that's come about because of that. So it is very practical. It has to do with our duty where the first eight chapters deal with doctrine. The last chapters 12 through 16 deal with our duty because of our devotion to Christ. We are devotees. We've given our life to him. We belong to him. We are slaves to him. He owns us. He's bought us out of the slave market of sin. He's redeemed us, not with silver and gold, which are corruptible, but that which is incorruptible, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot or without blemish. But if you'll notice, we went 1 through 8 and then 12 through 16. Yes, those deep, dark chapters that no man wants to enter into and expound, that's Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11. Why? Because they deal with the relationship between Israel and the church, God and Israel, his plan and his place for them and God and his church and his plan and his place for the church. You see, the Bible clearly teaches over and over again that God is not finished with Israel, that God still has a plan. He does now and he will forever. Now, many of my Reformed brethren, I know many of you are listening right now, I understand, I praise God for the Reformers. I praise God for what they did in relation to salvation, their hermit was solid. They took literal passages literal, not allegorical. When God said that he redeemed us, when God said that it is by grace through faith, we took all of that literally, and we should. We followed that. But when it comes to Israel and eschatology, it just seems like that my Reformed brethren have now changed their hermeneutic, and by some odd means, because it doesn't fit into the narrative that they want and the grid that they've laid down and the template that they've laid down, they have changed their hermeneutic and become very inconsistent. You see, the word Israel is mentioned 2,000 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned 70 times plus in the New Testament. And when it speaks of Israel, it means Israel. That's exactly what it means. You see, there's a word for church, and God could have used that any time. He's very capable of using the word ecclesia or other words that are used to describe the church. But the reason God used the term Israel in the New Testament when he did is because he was speaking of Israel, national Israel, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. They are the people of God. That's present tense. They are still the people of God. That's after the resurrection. It will be forever. 
whatsoever. The people of God, the Jews, were God's people before. They are God's people now. They'll be God's people forever. God created them supernaturally and brought them into existence for a primary plan and purpose. He's not finished with them yet. Or we have to allegorize the entire book of Revelation. We have to allegorize much of Romans. We have to allegorize much of Galatians. We have to allegorize much of Ephesians. And we do not have the authority to do that. So our hermeneutic needs to be consistent. So I would say to my Reformed brethren, thank God you got the issue of salvation right. And many of you have kept us in line down through the ages. But you missed it on eschatology. You missed it on Israel. Because God is still working with Israel as God cast his people off. May it never be. God forbid. God is still working with Israel, and if the Bible is to be taken as it speaks, one day the generation that is alive, all Israel will be saved when Messiah comes. Now, you might not like that. It might not fit into your narrative, but that's exactly what God says is going to happen. So uh, don't get angry with me, but if you want to, you can, and I pray you will get over it, repent of that anger, because you have no need. I'm your brother. I will be delighted to talk with you anytime, but the fact is the Bible is consistent and confluent from Genesis to Revelation. And the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew, who is a Jew, and will forever be a Jew, he wrote the same way. And throughout all of these epistles that I've mentioned, he has a doctrinal aspect. He has a an aspect that has to do with the practical outworking of our salvation. But somewhere in the middle, in all of these books that I've mentioned, he also deals with this aspect of Israel and the church. And the reason is, if you're off on this, you're going to be off on just about everything else in the Bible. You'll certainly be off on your eschatology. Let's look and see what God says in chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter 2, all the way down through verse 10. Everybody's on the same page. We are in Christ. We are new creation. We are in the heavenlies. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God in his his great foreknowledge and in his great sovereignty before ordained and prepared those good works that we should walk in them. And that's where the quoting usually stops. And the reason is it gets a little sketchy after that for many who do not believe that God is still working with Israel or they take this next passage and totally make the church to supersede, that's called supersessionism, to supersede or replace Israel. But Here's what he says in verse 11. Therefore, this is on the basis of everything he's just said about all that God's done for us. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, that is, we're called the goim, we're called the Gentiles, we're called the ethne by the Jews, but they only have a circumcision made with hands. And it says at that time when we were walking in our own way before we had come to know Jesus as the Messiah and as the Christ, as the Lord, as the Savior of the world. He said that at that time without Christ, you were aliens. Now think about that. That's the word which means belonging to another. It's the word belonging to and then 
oppo and you go away from that. In other words, we didn't belong with the people of God. We were aliens. And not only that, it says we were not citizens of Israel. That is, we were not part of the covenantal people. The word commonwealth is uh, the word where we get our word politic. We were not part of the citizenry. And we were xenos. We were strangers. If you have xenophobia, we heard a lot about that, about Donald Trump and those of us who had in mind the same policies that he did about those who were coming to our country illegally, we were called xenophobic. That means we were afraid of strangers. Nothing further could be from the truth. For those of us who know the Lord, we've traveled all over the world. We've welcomed strangers into our homes, foreigners into our homes. We have loved them and will continue to do that because that's what the child of God does. But this is not the issue from the politic that just passed. The word stranger here is the word xenos, those who are not at home with us. And it says we had no hope. We had no expectation. You see, the Gentiles, apart from Jesus, we have no expectation of the covenants that God made to Israel. We have no expectation of being part of the family of God. And it says that we were strangers from the covenants of promise. The promises were made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to his seed nationally, not to those of us. We don't become Israel. I had uh, someone not too long ago that ought to know better saying, you know, well, now that I'm saved, I'm a Jew. No, you're not. You're a Gentile, and you'll always be a Gentile, and the Jews will always be Jews. And I know what he was talking about. It's just wrong, and you don't need to talk like that. We don't become Jews once we're saved. We're still Gentiles. We're just saved by the grace of God, and God allows us to be partakers into the great promises he made to the Jewish people. We were without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's about as clear as it can be. For he himself is our peace. Really, it has to be translated himself, uh, reflexive. For he himself is our arene, our peace. If your name is Irene, your name is peace. Who has made both one, that is, that two that was separate, both one, and has broken down the middle wall of partition or separation. Now, just for the lack of time, let me talk about this, and then I'll try to close this thing down. The middle wall of partition is not the tearing down of the veil. Outside of the temple proper, there were 30-some-odd acres of temple complex. Well, around the temple, there was a sacred zone, and it had a fence around it. It had on it signs ever so many feet or meters that would say, basically, if you enter here unclean, if you enter as uh, someone who is not fit, you're a Gentile, whatever the case is, that you enter taking upon your own hands, taking upon yourself your own blood because you're going to die because death's going to follow. And that was called the Sereg, S-O-R-E-G, uh, the Sereg. Uh, it was called a lot of different names depending upon the language that it was spoken. 
partition. But it was a partition that separated between the sacred and the non-sacred, the clean and the unclean, the Jew and the Gentile in many aspects. And it says he abolished this in his flesh. He did it. He abolished the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. In other words, when Jesus died, that middle wall of partition was broken down. Anyone, everyone has to come the same way. That's the Jesus way, whether you're Jew or Gentile. That's what the scriptures teach. Many times, because I work so much with the Jewish people, and many times because I advocate for them and I stand for the Jewish people, I don't look at Jews like many out of the reform movement, and which is the basis of most of what is taught in our seminaries today and so forth. People think that uh, I am a dual covenant person that believe there's one way for Jews to be saved and then another way for Gentiles to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Lord Jesus is what and who the apostles preach. The gospel is what they preach. I preach the same gospel as Peter and Paul and all the apostles and Jew and Gentile must come the same way. Yes, it's exclusive, but it's inclusive. All that the Lord God will call. That's clear in the scriptures. But as you read through this, uh, just for the lack of time, I'm going to go immediately to chapter 3 because what you see in verses 19, 20, 21, and 22 is the answer to what you see in chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. All the things that we did not have and we were not in chapter 2, we are in chapter 3 because of Jesus. But that does does not make the Jew any less the people of God. And so as you go through this passage of scripture, just know that God, yes, used the Jew. To the Jew was given the covenants, the promises. We were outsiders. God has grafted us in according to the book of Romans chapters 9, 10, 11. Go and read them for yourself. And when you see the word Israel, don't think, okay, that means the church. No, there's a word for church and God didn't use it. He's trying simply to get us to understand that he has a plan and a purpose, a supernatural purpose. He did, he does now, he will for the Jewish people, and he does for the church of Jesus, which is made up of Jew and Gentile. Remember, the church has been here 2,000 years. There is a time that I'll talk about tomorrow called the rapture when we will leave this world as it is, and God will once again ordain 144,000 Jews instantaneously, simultaneously around the world where they are scattered throughout the nations and they will become God's glorious evangelists during the days of the great tribulation. And at the end of that, God will set up his kingdom and will reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem. Now, that's just the way it's going to be. That's the way the scripture teaches. If you're going to have the same hermeneutic that brought you to salvation by grace through faith, you cannot change it just because you don't like the outcome. And so I want to say to all of you, the mystery that I have spoken about today is the mystery of God bringing the Jew and the 
Gentile together in the church. And that God now has, yes, the Jew has been set aside for a time and there is a temporary blindness, but the blindness is going to be lifted. And the Bible says in the book of Zechariah that one day all the Jews, when his feet touch down the Mount of Olives, they will look upon him whom they've pierced. They will receive him as indeed the Messiah, and he will set up his kingdom rule on the earth. Well, for On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.